Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, the cultist of deceased bovines knock grinder. Man, that's a deep cut. Uh, we'll explain what Corey's talking about if you already haven't already picked up on it's it. A, it's, our new, it's our new crypto code challenge for next year's CTF. What that's is the cultist a, of uh, deceased bovines mean? Uh, we've definitely had some flags where the flag was literally... That, that would be an easy so. one. That would be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we will, on this episode, we're going to discuss what exactly Corey means by cultists of deceased bovines and why that is pertinent to uh, cybersecurity news lately. Uh, we'll jump into uh, some a recent report from the FBI, the IC3, on some uh, recent activities around credential stuffing. And then what will we end with? We will end with a phishing message straight from PayPal themselves. Uh, with All that, your PayPals belong to us. Let's go ahead and cash on in. Cash app on in. Join the 21st century, Mark. Are you pod save America? <laughs> so let's start with the uh, the elephant in the room, I guess, in the world of cybersecurity. Don't uh, call me an elephant. I've been losing weight, Mark. That's rude. Okay. The gorilla in the room, then. Pretty Better? ripped, ripped silverback <laughs> gorilla, I might say. Myself. There you go. Known to flinging crap. Um, <laughs> well done. I approve. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, anyways, uh, making the rounds on the uh, InfoSec Twitters when this news story came out, pretty big just in the InfoSec news in general. Do you uh, feel dirty every time you use the word Twitterscape? <laughs> I guess Twitters isn't quite as bad. Twitterverse? Is that the correct nomenclature? I don't, I, know. I don't know. All of them make me feel dirty. <laughs> it's it's much better than talking about it in the metaverse, I guess. That is true. Good point. Uh, but anyways, we digress. Uh, so last week, uh, pretty big news came out of a Twitter whistleblower uh, who had submitted a report to Congress about basically threats to national security <laughs> from, yes, I'm digressing you again. Aren't okay. all tweets technically whistleblowers? Isn't that what birds do? Get out. <laughs> Sorry. It's my Friday. You're ruining it. Um, okay, anyways. Twitter whistleblower. This Twitter is serious. This is about security, guys, and it's a pretty serious allegation. I should listen. Yeah. Uh, so the story, like, I guess let's let's start from the beginning before diving into the actual content of what kind of happened last week and start with the origins of the whistleblower themselves. Um, so the story kind of revolves around Mudge, a uh, cybersecurity researcher, uh, real name known as uh, Peter Zatko. Peter Zatko? Peter Zatko? I think it's pronounced Peter, right? In the US, they probably, probably, the US they probably say Peter, but I, yep. I get your, yeah. But Mudge is how most security people, at least old graybeards, should know him. Yeah. So Mudge has been around for quite some time, like the early 90s or so. He was one of the original members of Loft, a, a cybercrime think tank. He was a part of the Cult of the Dead Cow, a hacking outfit uh, originating out of Texas in the early 90s. Um, what By the was way, that? Loft made Loftcraft, one of the original Windows and Landman password crackers. That was pretty awesome. And Cult of the Dead Cow, everyone should know, but I guess Pop Pop Corey is too old. What, what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to ask Pop Pop Corey what some of like the uh, the key things that Cult of the Dead Cow were responsible for, but you already jumped ba on it. 
back orifice. <laughs> that sounds gross. That don't don't search that on Google with safe search off. But it was one of the the first rats that was easily gettable. I remember. I think I've talked about the neat. Uh, it did some real malicious things too. It was a true remote access trojan. But it was fun that uh, these things called CDs used to exist in computers, and you could uh, open the CD tray. It was one of its payloads. Always fun to freak out your friends by opening the CD tray. But yeah, no, Mudge is cool, well-known, followed the Cult of Dead Cow. They released a lot of stuff. They're definitely a part of the Gray Hat, although mostly good guys, hacker scene. I think I was with you at one of the DEF CONs where the entire crew includes some of our favorite hardware hackers, like Kingpin, uh, who I saw talk to recently. He has one of our uh, WatchGuard CTF badges, which is pretty cool because I went and talked to him after a talk. Uh, but yeah, he, we, I think you and I saw all of these now graybeards like me get together and talk about the good old CDC days. Yeah, but so Mudge, Kingpin, Space Rogue, like, I think it was seven or nine or so members of Loft actually testified in front of Congress in 1998 uh, on basically weak computer security in the government. And like the big like uh, bombshell that came from that is they basically said that they could shut down the entire internet in 30 minutes. And that was like the big security news story that came out. But the reality was, this is one of the first times that like hackers were actually painted in a good light uh, by the government, or at least publicly during this. Like they were brought there for their expertise to talk about some of these weaknesses back then. Um, Way, way back in 1998. Let's not even get into how hackers is totally misused today compared to how it was originally invented. Yeah. I think nowadays hacker pretty much means criminal cracker, but uh, back in the day, hacker meant something different to all of us, and, and I would argue the cult of the cow too. So Mudge, basically what we're getting at, has a proven track record in the cybersecurity space. Literally decades of experience from the hands-on days back in the, the 90s to more professional days working for DARPA as well, and I think Google briefly as well too. Um, so that's the background on Mudge. The background on how he fits into Twitter starts in July of 2020, where if you remember, uh, there was a pretty big cyber incident that happened where... Basically, a group of individuals, I think the, the leader of which was based out of a, a London suburb, um, bought their way into Twitter and some admin control tools by basically paying off uh, Twitter employees to gain access to the tools that they use to manage Twitter accounts. And through that, they were able to change the email addresses associated with several prominent accounts, reset their passwords and sell some of that access in some cases to uh, peddling cryptocurrency scams like you probably saw obama and biden and elon musk all suddenly tweet out the exact same thing about send us bitcoin and we'll make you rich basically um that was a pretty big deal back in 2020 and it proved one of the risks of insider threats very prominently with one of the largest social networks and in response to that uh, Jack Dorsey, who then was the CEO of Twitter, uh, has since stepped down, uh, hired Mudge to be the head of security after that incident, basically bringing in someone, you know, a little bit of the, uh, um, I don't know, cult following popular side of security, but clearly knows his stuff to come in and help out basically after the fact. Um, Mudge's time was pretty short lived at Twitter. So in January 2022, he was actually fired. Um, at the same time, Twitter also announced that their CISO was going to be leaving too. And 
relatively shortly after that, so earlier this year, um, Mudge actually filed a whistleblower complaint with the U.S. government that basically like said that there's risks to national security going on at Twitter. That alongside with some basically gross negligence inside the Twitterverse. And so the story is, last week, uh, that whistleblower complaint uh, became public. And he gave an interview, I think it was with Washington Post, um, and basically let the cat out of the bag of all of his grievances against Twitter and the cybersecurity space. And it was pretty damning on the face of it. So if we're like taking a step back and taking it at face value, assuming that what he says in there is true, and again, he's got a proven track record of cybersecurity, um, some of his allegations were that Twitter's been out of compliance with a uh, FTC decree given to them back in 2011, uh, he claims that they've been taking money from China where Twitter is actually blocked in order to provide information on Chinese users that circumvent the block. He claims that they were forced by India to hire an official from the Indian government uh, and then give them access to a vast amount of data, uh, Twitter sensitive user data. Uh, and then he just claimed overall gross negligence in addressing security concerns throughout his tenure, things like forcing him to give ver shortened verbal um, uh, overviews of security issues to the board versus like more detailed written down uh, accounts of what's going on, ignoring some of his concerns in cybersecurity, just basically leaving things unaddressed. So this clearly like, yeah, Twitter's already been in the news with the, uh, the hostile takeover attempts from Elon Musk, but this kind of blew everything out of the water too. I wonder if it gives Elon an excuse in the other court case that's happening right now well, for pulling out. Elon tweeted out a reply to one of the news story tweets about this with the little monocle emoji guy, like the O. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> that sounds like a Musk tweet for sure. Yes. Uh, I, I was just going to say one of the stories I read about this was talking about being behind on patches, which I'm sure they are too. But I was like, that can't be the headline. This sounds like it's a lot of other pretty big deals. I mean, you could be a negligent amount of behind on patching. Uh, for sure, too. But uh, it seems like there's a lot more big things. <laughs> One of his big like things that he highlighted was uh, basically every developer can make changes to prod with very little oversight and potentially no auditing. So basically, thousands of Twitter employees could potentially do something if they had an alternative agenda. <laughs> like you pointed out, apparently they didn't learn the lesson from the 2020 admin tool that everyone had access to. Exactly. Um, so Twitter came back and their response was, he's just a disgruntled ex-employee. He was fired for ineffective leadership and poor performance, which, you know, I, I'm going to take a hot take here. And my theory on this is it's possible that both of them are right. Like there's in cybersecurity, it's not just like raw knowledge. You also have to have the soft skills. And like leadership is entirely different than being insanely intelligent at what you do in cybersecurity. And it's possible that like he found legitimate issues and he just like potentially didn't have the leadership capabilities to politically and diplomatically get them addressed within Twitter. Like it's possible both of them are right. I totally agree. I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, it's you you can know the things that are wrong and be the person that's supposed to lead the change, and the change not happening can be part of you. 
I mean, when there's business, by the way, a lot of these sound bad. A lot of these sound like there shouldn't be business cases tied to them. But you, security is everyone's problem and you touch every part of the organization. And that means, you, like you alluded to already, Mark, there's a big part of polit I, I wouldn't even call it politics, just networking and relationship and messaging and communication and getting people that you need to make changes on the side of why the change has to happen. And it, it you can't just, if you're the type of leader that says, this is bad, this is horrible, you suck, we have to change it now, That that's not going to... That's not and to be clear, over. like, yeah, I don't know if that is the case with Mudge. Maybe he we was don't. actually making yeah. well-formulated arguments and they were just simply being ignored. And or so, he was really good at it and there's bad actors. Who knows? But I agree with you that both things can be true. I don't think it forgives the organization for, you know, they ought to be changing some of these practices for sure. But, uh, yeah, it is kind of a he said, she's, he's, he said, he said, or whatever you want to call it. And, but I, I do think the lead, and you're right, that... I don't even think it's the soft skills of doing it. It's also discipline, right? A lot of the basic crap you have to do, it's not hard. It's just nonstop and grueling and you continually have to do it and you have to keep track of, you have to do all the stuff that's not fun for security folks. Security folks love to find an incident and track it down, build something new and solve problems, but that doesn't stop patches coming out every single day of every month that you continually have to grind through. Um, so I think a lot of good security, besides the network and politics you brought up, is just discipline of doing very basic things over and over. And if you're not doing a good job of making sure people are actually doing those things regularly when they're supposed to. Yep. And I, I have zero reason to believe that he's lying about any of the stuff that he's alleged to. And so if we're taking that at face value, like there is some pretty bad stuff in there. There's a lot of things that like, I feel like a lot of organizations are having issues with, like users having more access to things than they should. I mean, you, you could argue that a, a company the size of Twitter with the, I mean, literally the, the social impact that a bad actor could have social, like obviously a social network, but just globally, like we saw what happened when all those accounts got compromised. Like it was a bit of a, pardon my French, uh, S H beep show when that happened that day. Like if someone had maliciously, like if a hostile foreign actor had like done this right before an election or something and caused like President Biden or former President Trump to tweet out something that they really didn't say, like it would cause a lot of damages. So maybe Twitter has a, a, a necessity to be better than other organizations. So even if these are common issues, maybe they should be better. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of organizations have the same problems, and those problems do scale with the size of the company, too. Uh, and and by, I, I, I do agree with you, by the way. I think Mudge is someone that is passionate about security. Yes. Uh, he, he may not be perfect himself. Who knows? Like you say, I think this is just a hot take, and it's purely speculation on our part that it could go both ways. But he, he cares about security. He's shown his entire career he cares passionately. And like putting so myself I, I, in his shoes, like if I saw all these issues that he's alleging and they weren't getting fixed i would get pissed off probably get fired and then probably go like do something like that like i at least i can understand like how he has ended up in this situation um but either way like i don't think this is the uh the end of the story i'm willing to bet that there will be much more coming to this especially since a lot of this has been um subpoenaed now by the u.s government 
Elon Musk and his ongoing battle with Twitter to try and take them over or maybe not take them over or try and get out of it. Um, potentially like that could have an impact on that Elon Musk bit, but either way, I, I don't think this is the end of it. Um, so moving on to the next topic though. Uh, so this was actually like a, about a week and a half ago, but I thought it was interesting and pertinent enough that I wanted to bring it up because we missed it on the last podcast. Uh, the FBI's Internet Crimes Complaint Center, or IC3, published an ad advisory a bit over a week ago uh, warning about a specific type of threat impacting individuals and organizations. So specifically, in their alert, they described how cyber criminals are hijacking home IP addresses to mask the origin of their credential stuffing attacks. Basically, they're saying threat actors are compromising home networks, home routers, home IoT, and using that to proxy requests through residential IPs to get around some protections that organizations might face. You could think like from a defensive standpoint, like you might treat a connection coming from a known like bad VPC or bad hosting provider differently than you would like a user coming from home. Um, and that could allow some of these attacks to potentially uh, succeed. Uh, there was a quote from the report. So it was, quote, in executing successful credential stuffing attacks, cyber criminals have relied extensively on the use of residential proxies, uh, which are connected to residential Internet connections and therefore less likely to be identified as abnormal. Uh, the report also highlighted uh, two websites that the FBI and Australian federal police identified uh, that contained over 300,000 unique sets of credentials obtained via credential stuffing. Uh, these sites also had over 175,000 registered customers with $400,000 in sales. So Corey, like this is a pretty big industry, $400,000 from just a couple of websites. And they're not just selling usernames and passwords. So these combo lists, they're also selling configs. Basically everything you need is a cyber criminal to successfully do one of these attacks. Um, they, everything from like the address of the target, how to format the request, how to read responses to know if it's successful, whether a proxy is needed, so on and so forth. Um, so anyways, thoughts, Corey? Like, I, I feel like this isn't necessarily groundbreaking, but uh, interesting seeing cyber criminals specifically targeting home devices in order to proxy and hit things. Are they learning from uh, state-sponsored governments that have been targeting business and consumer router devices. I, I feel like it's pretty common lately uh, that all levels of routing and uh, gateway de security devices, if there's small vulnerabilities in them, whether patched or unpatched, if they're exposed to the internet, it's a good way for state-sponsored folks and, and criminals to hide their tracks. So I, I used to talk argue how by the way, now state-sponsored attackers are directly targeting private companies. But 10 years ago, I assumed governments wouldn't target private citizens. Uh, so I said things like Stuxnet would trickle down by criminals stealing the techniques and using them. To me, this just feels like criminals stealing the idea that state-sponsored people have been doing for the last five years of targeting gateway devices as they're a perfect resource to hide behind. So yeah, I, I think it's new and interesting. It's good for consumers to know about. You better be keeping your consumer routers up to date. Uh, 
not not groundbreaking, but I, I feel like this is more of criminals learning from state-sponsored attackers. Uh, they by also the way, mentioned I, that, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was throwing in, they also mentioned that cyber criminals are specifically targeting mobile applications too. So like if your website has a website and an app, they're going after wow. the app because they tend to have weaker security protocols. They allow like a higher rate of login attempts too. Like maybe on the website, you limit like five failed attempts, lock it out. But on the app, maybe it's indefinite because who knows, authentication patterns are different there. That was another kind of interesting tidbit they threw in the Very report cool. too. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I, I'm not super surprising. Definitely scary. Like it gives you a reason. I think in one of our internet security reports, I did some analogy how other people's security affects you. It was when we were talking about supply chain attacks. But I really think this this is you could apply that to a country, to a consumer. We're all online and we're all connected to each other, whether we know it or not. The country's security has to include consumer security because threat actors, whether they're criminal or state sponsored, are taking advantage of consumers, maybe not to target the consumer, but to use their resource to target others. That's why if you're a corporation, a consumer security could affect you because if they're not good at it, they could be used to attack you and give give some bad guy asymmetric power. Same the other way, a company that's being attacked can can affect a consumer. So, you know, I think we all think about security as something we all have to deal with individually, but I think we just need to realize we are all interconnected. This this digital or software let's call it a digital supply chain. It almost affects every vertical, every level of business, government, consumer. It's all of us have connected each other for good or bad. And uh, so I we, we should try to help solve the consumer problem too. You know, my watch guard, for instance, are, we're not in the business of consumer security, but I think uh, the reason you and I believe in educating everyone, regardless of vertical, who they are, et cetera, is because it, it's. I think we're starting to see these connections. Uh, criminals taking over a bunch of grandma's home routers can, or grandpa's home routers, or let's not even, let's say the eight-year-old Minecraft kid's home router, I don't want to be ageist, uh, can can start to affect the FBI if they were suddenly used to attack them, for instance. So yeah, yeah. So when it comes pay attention to, uh... to your IoT security and be careful with shady mobile apps. When not it comes shady, to like the... but badly designed. Correct. The practical <laughs> tips that they gave too, from like a the credential stuffing standpoint, it's like all the basic stuff, you know, enable multi-factor authentication, which of course everyone should be doing and educate your users on good password practices. An interesting one they threw in there was they recommended like if you're an organization that has like users, so like us as WatchGuard, yeah, we've got, you know, WatchGuard Cloud with user accounts people can register for. They recommend downloading a publicly available credential list and test those against your own customers' accounts, and then force password resets for customer accounts that use a compromised credential, which is kind of interesting. Like I've heard, like the way I'm reading that is after they've made the account, go in and test them against them and then force a credential uh, reset after the fact. Like I've heard the guidance of, uh, uh, of you know, when they're creating a password, test it against the list, but not go try it after the fact too. Anyways, uh, so moving on, last one. So last week I was hanging out on Twitter and I saw this one pop up. Uh, hanging out in the Twitterverse. What did we decide to call it? 
as of 20 I, minutes ago. Let's not call it anything. <laughs> I was I was whistleblowing. Is there that how go. it goes now? Whistling, yeah. tw- twitting. <laughs> you were tweeting like a twit. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god. No. I should. Sh- <laughs> That's technically correct, by the way. People who tweet are technically twits on Twitter. Wow. Rude. <laughs> um. Anyways. So last week, uh, a researcher posted a image uh, and they tagged like PayPal in it uh, saying it was a fish that they claim came from PayPal, basically, uh, that was very believable because of that. And uh, security journalist Brian Krebs picked up on it and wrote an article about it. Basically, like this fish, like it comes from PayPal.com in the form of a invoice. So like as a PayPal user, I could send literally anyone out there an invoice through PayPal if I knew their email address. It goes through PayPal's official system. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm charging them money. Like they still have to accept it, hit yes, put in their credit card information and pay the invoice. But like, Corey, I could send you saying you owe me 50 bucks for calling me a twit just a little bit ago and send that invoice through PayPal. And so because of that, the message comes from PayPal.com. It passes all DKIM, SPF, like all email anti-spoofing protection checks. Um, The message says uh, the subject of this one was Billing Department of PayPal updated your invoice. And the message contains a link to pay to view and pay a $600 invoice, including this text that says, uh, quote, there is evidence that your PayPal account has been accessed unlawfully. $600 has been debited to your account for the Walmart e-gift card purchase. Uh, the grammar there is citation in context. Uh, this transaction will appear in the automatically deducted amount on PayPal activity after 24 hours. If you suspect you did not make this transaction, immediately contact us at, and they list a toll-free number. Our services hours are from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday Pacific time. So basically, like, it's a legitimate, like, obviously false or not valid, but legitimately issued PayPal invoice. And the hook is... To scare people into saying, oh, I'm being charged $600 if I don't address this immediately and call this number in the description. And if you call it, you get someone on the other end of the line that says customer service. And they suggest you go and download this, uh, go to a website called, was it globalquicksupport.com and download a remote administration tool on your computer. So basically the end goal of this is to gain a remote access trojan on your computer to then conduct additional attacks against you not necessarily to steal $600 from you from PayPal. But the reason I want to talk about this is because it's kind of interesting. Like it's another form of abusing legitimate communication channels in order to try and fish someone. Like we've talked a lot about using cloud hosting services like S3 buckets or Azure storage uh, containers to host malicious content up in those clouds and piggyback off of like their known good URLs there. This is a straight up email from PayPal, passes all of their valid checks. And it's if, you, if you're not specifically looking for something like this, and you see the description, you might potentially fall for it. So I don't know, to us security professionals, even Corey, uh, I'm willing to bet that we probably would have spotted this as bogus, but I could definitely see something like this hitting, uh, succeeding against other people. I, I think this could even hit semi-security savvy people. I, I agree with you. We know about these type of things, so we tend to know about it. But I, I, what I hate about this type of, I guess it's not really spear phishing, but like it's uh, even with phishing or spear phishing, we always say 
don't click the link or don't do the attachment because it's easy to look at attachment and understand that it might be bad or look at a domain in the link and know it's bad. So we can give very solid advice. But there's this level of phishing where they're not trying to get you to click a link. They're trying to get you to interact in some other way, like reply to a text or in this case, call a number. And there's no reason it may not be legit too. If you didn't do a search to see that this was a scam type that does happen, like you say, it could. Now, I, I would argue that maybe PayPal wouldn't charge you for something they know is illegitimate Walmart cards, you know, if you didn't call them in X amount of time. Uh, but But nonetheless, there's nothing to show that's a bad phone number. And so it's a pretty, it feels like a pretty, safe thing to do to call the number and by the way it could still be it could be on the call you you do something to to figure out that they're actually not really paypal even though they claim to be but anyways to your to your point i i still think these ones where they're trying to get you hey reply to this text or do this it's not there's no link or attachment in it they're hoping to continue to lure you in with actual social communication that's where it's much easier for even security savvy people to get in trouble I think you and I have both done at least one. For me, it was a long time ago. I don't go to, to them as often, but there is a social engineering village at uh, DEF CON. And in the past, I'm one where they have like a soundproof phone book for the, the live they social that. engineer. That's awesome. So obviously the person on the phone can't hear the audience cheering them on, uh, but they, they do live calls and it's just through talking. I, I remember the, I, I hate to say, I forget her name, but a female social engineer that had audio sounds of a baby crying. And so she could act like she was, you know, stressed out and busy just to get the the service rep to help her more but there's lots of e once they get you on that call uh you know they're they're pretty decent at their con men con woman jobs you know at least they can be yeah, this one so, seems a little less sophisticated luckily but yeah 100 percent. there's yeah. definitely some ones if they get you on a call there's a i mean if you're already picking up the phone and calling them you've taken the bait and it's just a matter you have taken the bait yeah yeah getting and you I, over the finish I, I, line these are, we've seen enough of them that we understand this part of it, but I think it's a harder one to guide users against because there's no link or, you know, I, I guess we should add, be careful calling random phone numbers too, but it's a harder one to give solid advice around. Uh, just, I, I guess the advice we always give is be skeptical in general of these emails. You know, you have to put on your, uh, I may not trust you until you prove that I should hat, even if it does seem like legitimate business. And I think a lot of organizations, PayPal included, they're trying to steer people away from like checking their email to see alerts like this and steering them saying like, you've got a notification within PayPal and then have you go to paypal.com and log in and see the notification there for anything potentially critical. Like that may be even a big, bigger jerk. Oh, go ahead. Finish your no, please be a bigger jerk. I, I was going to say all these, when you get to a, be a big tech company like PayPal, they actually do everything in their power never to get you to call them. They hide yes. their number. They <laughs> automate between 12 chatbots. They make you use their search button. They make you say that the search, they make you do 12 things before they even give you a call number to call. So if a big company is saying, call me, <laughs> that right away. That's a red flag. Probably a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I hear you on that one.
Um, but either way, though, I guess, man, keep on the lookout for phishing messages that are coming. All things legitimate, except for the little bit of the description in them. And uh, hopefully uh, none of our grandparents fell for this one to throw them under the bus. and be I, 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 That's so bad that I need to get away from the grandma example. It's uh, there's a my specific... grandma is better at cybersecurity than many people half her age. I, I should probably use my dad, even though he would hate it. But I do have an actual grandma where it was an issue. But I also know some super tech savvy ones. So that's a I, I, I need to at least mix up my my silly user. We, we all have been that silly user at one point in our lives. She's become a pro at spotting scams and she'll even like call or email me after the fact to brag about so her win. Cool. Yeah. That is so cool. I think I've seen too many documentaries of people being televangelized scammed back in the day. Not even when there is an internet, but sending their money to random organizations on TV. Yep. Uh, it's no ends to the uh, immorality out there, I guess. A lot of I feel like that's people. probably a good place to, to end this podcast. The yeah, world we is always going to we heck. always have to we always <laughs> have to be a bummer. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm life is good, man. We'll solve all this crap. Life is good. We'll solve all this stuff, and you and I will be out of work. Oh, oh yeah. Uh oh. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey's at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you'll hear from us next week. Or at least me. Maybe not Corey. We'll see. I'm running away. (laughs) 